Hello to all and welcome to another edition of Bill's Facebook Bible Studies. We are basing these on the Daily Bible edited by F. Lagarde Smith, a wonderful daily Bible reading tool. As you have heard me say many times as we've gone through this year of study, yes, we're well over halfway there. What a blessing. Yeah, what a blessing. And if you're hanging in there, well done. If you are just recently started, that's okay. Remember, I always say, read today's reading first. And then catch up if you want and can, but uh, stay on target, and that's the best way to go about uh, doing that. It's uh, I do want to say, and now, and hopefully I'll remember at the end as well, but uh, next week we will be celebrating life with children and grandchildren. We're going to go out of town meeting all of our kids and grandkids, and that's going to be such a great blessing. We are super looking forward to that. We had the grandkids a week or two ago, as you know and took a little bit of a spell from the studies but next week we'll be with all of them the kids and the grandkids and we couldn't be more excited about that we are really 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 looking forward to that i i really can't wait and i know joyce can't either and uh, so we're excited about that the downside of course is i won't be doing the facebook studies next week so we won't have either uh, any lesson on tuesday or thursday next week we'll be back again uh, a week from this coming Tuesday and uh, I'll say more about that in, at the end of the study. Uh, where we are today is getting close to that time when the southern kingdom of Judah and its capital city of Jerusalem uh, is uh, taken over by the Babylonians. The temple is destroyed that Solomon had built and dedicated with such a beautiful, beautiful prayer uh, that our Donnie Carnathan is going to be speaking about. And uh, I, I tell you what, it's just incredible the devastation that they go through. Uh, when we get back, we'll be talking about uh, people like Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel as they are uh, around during those days. Jeremiah, long ministry of decades, uh, several decades. Uh, Daniel and Ezekiel show up just about the time of the exile and, uh, and so we read a lot about them uh, going their way uh, to Babylon and what happens uh, from there. Uh, but that'll be, um, that'll be something that we'll be into when we get back and you'll be reading about in the next couple of weeks. But for now, we're still before the temple is destroyed, before the Babylonians come in and take over. And we're in the days of King Josiah. King Josiah, as we saw on Tuesday, he was very young. Uh, when he was called uh, to be king and anointed to be king, a descendant of King David. Uh, but he was eight years old, around 640 B.C. or so, when he became king. Uh, and as we saw, he was a very faithful young king. At age 16, he made a conscious decision to seek the Lord. I understand that. I did the same thing when I was in fifth grade. So I was about uh, 11 or so. And um, Josiah was uh, 16 years old. He had been king for eight years. And then when he was 20, he began to reform uh, the land and he was seeking God's will. And so he put in those reforms so that they would just be worshiping the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, as we've been reading about and will again, uh, uh, was called around the 13th year of Josiah's reign. So when Josiah starts, picks up the reforms at age 20, it's likely that Jeremiah had already been influencing him a little bit. And, uh, and so we see that coming along about the same time. Uh, at age 26, uh, Josiah began to repair the temple and had that going on. And then uh, during that time 
is where we are picking it up right now. Uh, one of the ones that was involved and in charge of, uh, of restoring the temple and cleansing it and getting it back to what God would want uh, was a, a priest by the name of Hilkiah. And in those, uh, in those times, and we read about all of this in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34, um, they found the book of the law. And Hilkiah takes it, the priest takes it to Josiah, and he says, and, and in the process of all the work that we've been doing, we found a book. And he gave it to, um, to King Josiah. And King Josiah immediately repented, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, all of those kinds of things that the Jews would do when they were in mourning and when they were lamenting something that had terrible that had happened and and King Josiah saw all the people and he read that book and he realized that they were going to be uh, devastated by the Lord if they didn't straighten their act up. And so um, King Josiah acts in such a, even though such a young man still, uh, late 20s we might say, mid to late 20s, he still is incredibly uh, faithful. And so he calls all the people together and the law is read, not just to the king and his subjects, but to all the people. Uh, and that begins a great series of reforms in Judah all the way up to Samaria. Uh, they stretch into the northern kingdom tribes in that area. Remember, they had been sent off to exile by the Assyrians in the, time, in the days of King Hezekiah of Judah. Uh, and so uh, there were still some up there who had Jewish uh, ancestry, even though they may have been a mixed breed. Uh, now that um, the new Samaritans, that's what they were ultimately going to be called at the hands of the Assyrians, brought in people from pagan nations to settle there, um, uh, but also had some of the Jews there so that they could worship according to the will of the God of the land, as the Assyrian king said. Uh, but they begin the reforms, and they stretch all the way from Judah into Samaria, and, um, and they renew the covenant, and they... Uh, observe the Passover. Just like in the days of Hezekiah, decades before, Josiah has them observe the Passover at its scriptural times, according to the book of the law, and the covenant is renewed. It's just an incredible time of renewal. Uh, and the, in the days of Josiah, like in the days of Hezekiah, it said that it's just nothing like this was ever seen. Uh, it's just an amazing time of renewal and reform and uh, worship repentance, faithfulness. It's an incredible time. Um, and then in 2 Kings uh, 23 and 2 Chronicles 35, we read about um, uh, King Josiah's death. For some reason or another, he decided that he needed to uh, raise a stink with uh, Pharaoh Necho in uh, Egypt. And the Pharaoh there said, look, I've got no, I've got no beef with you. I don't know what, what, what this is all about. But in the process of that uh, conflict that uh, Josiah started with the Egyptian Pharaoh, uh, Josiah was, was killed. And um, these words in 2 Chronicles 34 remind us of, of the faithfulness of another great leader of God's people, uh, Joshua, who took over after, after Moses. Uh, almost a thousand years before Josiah. Uh, it says in Second Chronicles 34, verse 33, he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as Josiah lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And when he dies, he is mourned. He is buried with the kings in Jerusalem. 
and uh, Josiah, just a great, uh, great king and leader of God's people, a spiritual leader as well as a civil leader. Um, that takes us on to the uh, looking ahead a little bit to the final kings of Judah, his son Jehoahaz. All of these were unfaithful kings, but Josiah's son Jehoahaz reigns, and then another son Jehoiakim uh, reigns when um, uh, Jehoahaz uh, is forced uh, to uh, go to Egypt and dies there. Jehoiakim is uh, shackled uh, and taken to Babylon uh, in uh uh, in the decades ahead when Babylon comes in and takes over Jerusalem. Um, and then uh, kings, uh, he's later shown uh, kindness, however, in, uh, uh, in the land of Babylon in 2 Kings 25. Uh, and then Zedekiah, uh, actually Jehoiachin, becomes, uh, is a grandson of Josiah, and, uh, and he's the one that was taken to Babylon. But Zedekiah is the, uh, the son of another son of Josiah, and he reigns in Jerusalem until 586 BC when it is destroyed by the Babylonians. And uh, he, is, um, he faces a very difficult end to his life. Uh, and so the exile begins to Babylon. We're not quite there yet, but we will be in the next couple of weeks. Uh, in 605 BC is the first deportation. It comes in three stages. The first one includes Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When we come back, in, uh, not the next week, but the following Tuesday, we'll be looking at Daniel and his friends. In 597 BC is what is called the Great Deportation, when 10,000 people are taken into exile out of Jerusalem to Babylon. And that group includes Ezekiel and the king at the time, uh, King Jehoiachin. And then in 586 BC, under Zedekiah, Jerusalem, the walls are breached and uh, Jerusalem is destroyed, including Solomon's grand temple. All of that could have been spared if they had followed the example of King Josiah, uh, who found the book of the law and called on everyone to read it and have it read to them and to follow it and to repent and to bring about great reforms and great worship according to the Passover laws. Unfortunately, his children and his grands, his sons and his grandson who followed after him uh, did not feel that way. And ultimately, the southern kingdom of Judah is taken off into captivity. And that's the dark, dark story that we're going to be reading in the days uh, ahead over the next uh, couple, two or three weeks. Well, that leads us to Habakkuk. I'll give you a chance to find the book of Habakkuk. It's right here. See there? Uh, of course, that was upside down, but that's okay. Uh, I knew I was going to be speaking about Habakkuk today, so I, I already had it marked. Um, but uh, you can click on it or turn to it. It's an incredible study. I, I, it's, a, it's a very challenging study. I love reading the book of Habakkuk, uh, and I love studying the book of Habakkuk. You actually, if you're keeping up, if you're on track, you won't be reading Habakkuk until tomorrow. Uh, it is tomorrow's reading, but I wanted us to share about it today. And then as you read it, if you haven't already, then uh, you'll be able to think through uh, some of what he says and some of what you read, because it's a very powerful, powerful uh, book. Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah. He writes during the time of the Babylonian uh, attack. And, um, and, and it's just an incredible study, uh, almost like Hosea and Mike and some others. There is some back and forth. Uh, between the prophet Habakkuk 
and uh, the Lord his God. And so with that, we'll just uh, start up reading, shall we? In chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Very similar message to parts of Isaiah, to Amos, to Micah, to Hosea, to all those great prophets that we've already looked at in the 8th century B.C. especially. Certainly Jeremiah, as we saw in his famous sermon on the church building in Jeremiah 7 and throughout that section, he decries the horrible sinfulness. And this is not of the Egyptians or the Philistines or the Babylonians. This is the people of God. These are the Jews. And Habakkuk says, there's injustice all around me. The law is paralyzed. Why don't you act, God? Why don't you act and, um, and bring your people around? Well, the Lord answers Habakkuk, starting in chapter 1, verse 5, and he is not going to like the answer. Be careful what you wish for, That's, and be careful what you pray for. That's what this comes under. Uh, Habakkuk 1, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And then God goes ahead and tells him. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle. You thought uh, Steve Miller came up with that line. Nope. They fly like an eagle, verse 8, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. I don't think Habakkuk likes this answer, and he's going to express that in great detail in the verses that follow. But Habakkuk brings up this subject. He says, hey, your people are unjust and sinful, and you need to act. And God says, well, thanks for bringing that up, Habakkuk. I plan to do that. But you're not going to believe what I'm about to do. I'm going to bring in that ruthless, pagan, uh, selfish, cruel people, the Babylonians, to come in and discipline my people. And it's not going to be pretty. Uh, they don't care about God. They, they, their, own, their, their own strength is their God. That's who they worship. They think they're doing this all themselves, but they're really not. This is something that I am doing. And, um, and Habakkuk can't believe it. He can't believe it. And we couldn't either. We couldn't either. Can you imagine God telling someone in our land today, I'm going to bring in uh, a ruthless, selfish, pagan, proud, arrogant, cruel people to come in and destroy the United States? Well, that's what Habakkuk is being told. That's what Jeremiah has been told. And so Habakkuk is going to say, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. That's not anything like what I was talking about. Habakkuk 1 verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? 
My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them, the Babylonians, to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, verse 13 says. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls, them all, pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. I just love Habakkuk. You can see him. He's standing there like this. He says, man, I've made some good points here, and I'm just standing here. His foot is tapping. His arms are crossed. And he says, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm waiting for you to respond, kind of like what Job did, remember? We'll read about that in the days of the exile, when the book of Job was very likely written, even though it happened centuries before. Uh, but Habakkuk here, that's exactly what he's doing. I'm going to stand right here until I hear my answer, God. And, and what has he said? The things that he says are exactly right. And we would ask the same questions. How can you do this, God? Uh, the incredible statement at the end of verse 13, why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? As bad as the Israelites were in Judah and Jerusalem, they weren't anything near like the evil that the Babylonians were. And Habakkuk can't believe that God is going to do this. How can you use a less righteous nation to punish a more righteous nation? That doesn't make sense. And that's why God had said, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something here that, that you're not going to believe. And Habakkuk says, well, you're right about that. I can't believe that a just and holy God would do such a thing. Uh, Habakkuk reminds God as if he needed reminding. But he reminds God, look, he, he looks at his own power. He's like a fisherman who casts his net into the sea and brings up fish, and therefore he worships his net, and he worships his great fishing experience and ability. The Babylonians, they see the power as in themselves, and their army, and their skill, and their numbers. And so they laugh at gods. They, they laugh at kings. They laugh at nations and armies that oppose them. They don't care. They think they've got the power all to themselves. Hezekiah says, you can't let that nation overpower your people even though we're sinful we're not like that at all and so Habakkuk really thinks that he's made a good point how can you use a less righteous nation to punish a more righteous nation and so he's waiting for God to answer and God does answer but he doesn't answer his questions he doesn't give him an answer to the why but just like with Job he gives him something more in chapter 2 beginning in verse 2 then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Verse 4 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. 
chapter 2, verse 4, my righteous one will live by faith. The just will live by faith. It's one of the most powerful statements in Scripture. It's one that, as we'll see in a little bit, is picked up on by New Testament writers uh, several times in the New Testament. Uh, God is telling Habakkuk simply this. Look, Habakkuk, you're never going to understand this, but it's going to happen. And so my righteous one will live by faith. You're going to have to trust me on this one, Habakkuk. It's never going to seem right to you. There's nothing I could say to justify it to you. You, don't, you won't get it. You won't get it. But if you want to be righteous and just and faithful, then you're going to have to live by faith. Faith is trusting in a God that you don't always understand. If you always understood him, then he would be no more powerful, no more wise than you are. I don't know about you, but I, I need a God that is more powerful than I am. I need a God that is wiser than I am. And if that's the God I'm going to serve, then that means there are going to be times when that God acts in ways that I don't quite get. And that's what's going on here. God tells Habakkuk, hey, I'm going to bring in the ruthless, pagan, selfish, cruel Babylonians to punish my people. And Habakkuk says, there's no way that's possible. You would never do such a thing, God. Far be it from you to use a less righteous nation to punish a more righteous nation. That doesn't make sense. And God says, well, Habakkuk, I get that it doesn't make sense to you right now. But you're just going to have to trust me on this, Habakkuk. My righteous one will live by faith. That's the incredible answer that God gives. And then he goes on and he talks about all of these things that God is going to do. And Habakkuk realizes that maybe I can trust the living God. Uh, he talks of all of these things about the one who builds his house for unjust gain in verse 9. Um, and and Habakkuk is, is listening and he's hearing and he's speaking and and the Lord says in verse 12, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Um, again, God acts in ways that are mysterious, as the old song says. Uh, God is saying to Habakkuk, I'm going to do some things that you're just not going to understand. In verse 18, of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, God says, or an image that teaches lies for the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. This all sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. God says they trust in gods that aren't gods at all. They're just simply things that I've created that they've shaped and formed and, and covered with gold and nailed down so it won't topple and fall over. That's not a God. But God says, I will use them in spite of their sin. I will use them to accomplish my will. And in this case, to punish and discipline my people so that they will come around and see their own sinfulness and repent. And so God ends his statement to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I don't know about you, 
This statement occurs a few times in Scripture. This is one of them, and it's so needed right here. God tells Habakkuk, look, Habakkuk, even when the world is falling apart, even when it's going crazy, like our world is now, even during those times, even though you don't understand what's going on and you don't know why God isn't acting or why God's acting the way he is, you can trust that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. He sees what's going on. He knows what's going on. He's accomplishing his will and his purpose. And even though you don't get it, you'll have to trust him. My righteous one will live by faith. We live by the faith that says God is still on the throne. He's still in his holy temple, even though the Babylonians have destroyed it. Even though the Romans would destroy the rebuilt uh, uh, temple later on. And that after the time of Christ, we realize that Um, the Lord is still on his throne in heaven, the ultimate temple of the Lord. My righteous one will live by faith, Habakkuk. The Lord is still in his holy temple. And so for Habakkuk in chapter 3, that's enough. Verse 1, this prayer that Habakkuk offers. Verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk prays, okay, God, if that's what's about to happen, please be merciful. Please remember, we are but dust. We are your people. And I will live and trust in the Lord. And then this wonderful book ends with these words of faith from the prophet Habakkuk. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. What an incredible statement of faith. You see, anybody can believe and trust in God when he's acting like we want him to act, when the answers to our prayers are yes. Anybody can trust in God when the olive crop is flourishing and the fields have all kinds of food in them, when the bank account is full. And it's big and it's huge and the retirement fund looks great. Anybody can trust in God then. Habakkuk says, even though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk doesn't even say, I'll trust in God. I'll put up with this. No, no, no. He says, I will rejoice. Oh, I hate this. I hate what's about to happen to my people, and I don't understand it. But because I have been reminded that the Lord is in his holy temple, because the righteous will live by faith, I will do just that. I will live by faith. And what's more, I will rejoice in God my Savior. And I'll wait for the time when he will make everything right. He talks just like Job talked after God came to him and and didn't answer any of his questions, just gave Job one question after another and in two separate barrages of questioning. And finally, Job says, I had heard about you, Lord, and now I've seen you. 
and I repent in dust and ashes. Habakkuk does much the same thing. He says, when I heard you, my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound and decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet at the word of the Lord, I will wait. I will trust. And what's more, I will rejoice. Can you do that? Can you do that when it's a time of struggle? It's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you, I know. It's hard for everyone. Because we're human, just like Habakkuk was, just like Job was. And yet it's the same God that spoke to them that speaks to us. It's the same God who says, my righteous one will live by faith. It's the same God who says, the Lord is still in his holy temple. Later on, New Testament writers, as I said, are going to take that statement from Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. And they'll use it in a couple of different ways. In Hebrews 10, right before that great honor roll of faith in chapter 11, at the end of Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews quotes Habakkuk 2 verse 4 and says, this is how we have to be. It was a terrible time. In fact, so terrible then they were so persecuted in the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews that they were thinking about going back to the law of Moses and saying, forget this mess. It's caused us nothing but trouble. And yet the writer of Habakkuk says, look, I mean, the writer of Hebrews says, look, remember our buddy Habakkuk way back when? It was a tough time for him too. And the word that he got is the same word for us today. My righteous one will live by faith. We have to live by faith. But then Paul in Romans 1, 17 and in Galatians 3, 11, also uses that statement, my righteous one will live by faith, but he uses it a little bit differently because there the context is talking about what makes you righteous, what makes you just. Is it your good works or is it faith? And so even though he quotes Habakkuk, he quotes it a little bit differently and it's if he's saying the righteous by faith, those are the ones who will live. It's a great study if you ever want to chase that down on your own. But for Habakkuk, as for the writer of the book of Hebrews, he's calling on people of his day in a very dark, dark time, and it was going to get worse. And the writer of Hebrews said the same thing. And it could be true for us as well in 21st century America. It's a hard time. It's a difficult time. It could get worse. It could get worse. But my righteous one will live by faith. So whatever happens to us, we know that the Lord is still in his holy temple. We call on all the earth to keep silent before him and to live and rejoice by faith. Remember, there's no classes next week for Bill's Facebook study. Uh, in the days ahead, you're going to be reading about Daniel. You're going to be reading about the exile. You're going to be reading about Ezekiel. And then those readings uh, will go on. And that's where we'll pick it up. Uh, a week from this coming uh, Tuesday, uh, two weeks from this coming, a week from this coming Tuesday. Um, I hope that you'll remember these words. I hope that you'll remember these thoughts as you read through the book of Habakkuk. It's a powerful, powerful statement of faith and trust in a God that we don't quite understand because he's so far wiser, so far greater. The righteous will live by faith. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Amen.